We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You can also check out the website. There you can ask questions and check out old archive shows. That's andyanddon.com. Andyanddon, all one word, .com. And of course, uh, feel free to ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good Happy morning, Valentine's Scott. Valentine's Day week. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's expanded from one day to the whole week now. Well, why shouldn't it? Christmas goes on forever. That's true. <laughs> kind of fell right in the middle this time. So, have yeah, you got yeah. the Christmas decorations down? That's what we want to know. Oh, down. <laughs> Oops. Like a lot of them unplugged. I know. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're unplugged. Still, still up, but not, yeah. but unplugged. All right. Yeah, that's right. Halfway there. Saving electricity, anyway. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, financial facts you didn't know about Valentine's Day. I know. Are you you know what? Me? I, you know what bothered me. I was trying to. I was fascinated about you know the Valentine's Day, obviously the spending and and and. Does you know, love the, have to cost money, Andy? Um, <laughs> apparently, it does. <laughs> and uh, you'd be shocked at how much we're actually spending on Valentine's Day and some of the statistics. Now, this what you know what's amazing. I couldn't find Canadian statistics, so this is U.S. Mm -hmm. statistics, and of course, I guess just there's more people there. Maybe it's easier to capture this kind of data. But there's probably Canadian similar statistics as yeah. as they are to in the U.S. Well, so a couple of them uh, that jump out at me, and I, I've got a whole list here, but number one was certainly we know Valentine's Day is big business. From a spending standpoint, yeah. Americans are going to be spending over $18 billion on Valentine's Day, everything from candy to flowers to romantic dinners, mm -hmm. lingerie, you name it. And that was actually an, an expected increase of 8.5% over wow. the previous year. How do you explain that? I don't know. It's the, maybe it's the Trump bump, the Trump effect. Everybody's feeling everybody's feeling more generous right. or something. I don't know. More of everything. <laughs> more of everything. <laughs> we'll be paying less taxes this year, maybe, so they're yeah. feeling like they're wealthier. The wealth yeah. effect. Good point. Um, so clearly, we spend a lot of money on Valentine's Day. Now, when you get down to the individual Don Juan and what are we actually, uh, what are we actually spending, the average is about $146. Wow. For the for yeah, a male really. will spend hmm. on the object of his infection. That's a t that's that's about ten dollars more than last year. Now is that money well invested, gentlemen? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't know, Scott. This is your department. You tell me. <laughs> we can do a little poll here if anybody's got one hundred forty six dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> what? It's Valentine's week. That's right. I know. I know. I, my wife and I couldn't celebrate Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day, so we're doing it next uh, week. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there you go. Wow. Think of how much cheaper roses are. Think yeah. of how are much, they? how less crowded oh, yeah. the restaurant will be. That is, that's the bonus yeah, right there. Is that's less true. crowded restaurant. I'm not yeah. sure it's going to be any cheaper on me, but you know, maybe less crowded. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, there were 2.1 million marriages on Valent in, in 2012. This is back a bit. But uh, of those, 108,000 were performed in Nevada, mm. in Vegas. Oh, man. And just in case you were wondering, we don't know how many were, were hosted or uh, overseen by Elvis, Elvis impersonators. I knew that was coming. But the cost was 260 bucks wow. for a wedding in Vegas. Well, oh. that, you know, you think about what you spend, spend on Valentine's Day, you double it. You get married. There you yeah, go. How either. simple is that? 60 for a wedding, 180 for Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought you guys said it was like 20, 30, 40, 50 grand for a wedding. Well, yeah, Vegas is you had to get there, though. Don't forget. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
what else can we tell you about? So uh, it also tells us that, you know what, people do like getting married. 20% of people are getting married in, in general uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S., but so much so that one in 20 have actually been married more than three times. Wow. So wow. 5% of individuals <laughs> have been married more than three times. They really like getting so much, <laughs> they do it several times. So 36% of, of uh, celebrants of, of Valentine's Day will buy flowers, yeah. spending about $1.9 billion on flowers. And according to uh, census data, that, that really tells us probably why there's over 18,000 florists in yeah. the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> so really, it's, it's big business in the flower business. Well, no, those no multiple marriage it. people all obviously like divorcing too, though. Yeah, got, it works that side. Uh, yeah, too. that's there's right. got to be at least you two divorces have, in there. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. That's what I never thought of. Maybe that. that the triple ones are sort of on a roll there. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, as you might expect, that the most popular Valentine's Day gift this year will be candy. And in fact, 50.5% of all romantics will spend over $1.7 billion on candy this year. Wow. And, uh, and that's about, uh, that's about only 500 million less than people spend on Halloween. Wow. So is that New Year's wow. resolution you so, made? Yeah, so much so for that. So Halloween and, and New Year and Valentine's Day, almost identical in terms of real money. But, uh, wow, what um, does that say? So the candy is obviously- Maybe the, Valentine's Day is soon becoming as scary as Halloween. I know. <laughs> That's true. Is that the link we were looking for, Andy? I know. No, no, no. no, no. Don't put words in our mouth here. <laughs> well, if, uh, if you didn't know that this is true, but the first Valentine's Day chocolate box was introduced in 1868 by a gentleman named Richard Cadbury. Mm. So, of course, we all yeah. know the follow-up to that is that became the Cadbury Chocolate Company. Yeah. So, 1868. Now, while candy might be the, one of the best options... But according to the Online Man's Magazine, if you're looking to score major points with your significant other, the best bet is jewelry, Yeah. followed by couples dance lessons. Get out of here. A spa massage gift certificate and perfume. I, I don't think the dance lessons is even on the list. You made that up. Whose list? Your list? <laughs> dance lessons ahead yeah. of a massage at a spa? Are you kidding me? Well, who are we talking about? For you or for, for your partner? Either one. For your spouse. I'm surprised about the dance dance lessons lessons myself over a spa. That usually causes a divorce. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Maybe that's why the, that's where the 5% come in. Yeah, that's right. Well, all these stats are linked together. Apparently, uh, the jewelry thing is certainly uh, pretty prevalent in in today's Mm. buying choices and gold jewelry, the shiny stuff is is popular for Valentine's Valentine's Day. 19% of people expect to buy something in gold and they'll spend about $4.1 billion doing that. Um, the most popular jewelry item in the U.S. is the solitaire engagement ring, and that's followed by wedding oh, bands, yeah. diamond earrings, a string of pearls, or a heart pendant necklace. For the people that didn't uh, ask for her hand in marriage at Christmas, exactly. you still have uh, Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Valentine's is too. how many people exactly. get engaged on Valentine's Day. That's true. Um, what, uh, what, uh, what according to a 2011 poll. Uh, it's found that the most tangible Valentine's Day gifts, women's have, from women's perspective, they prefer a romantic dinner out. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Uh, and the same poll that um, 
It found that eight out of 10 women are definitely expecting a gift on Valentine's Day, even though they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Or it doesn't Don't fall for that, guys. Yeah. So there could be 20%, though. You have a 20% chance you might have got the right, you know. <laughs> That's a 20% chance. You can live you've dangerously. Got right, you've got the right spouse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> The good news is, the good news is that the, that the ladies don't expect their men to break the bank on this. 86% say they'd be happy with a gift under $55. That's crap. Yeah, don't, don't fall for that. Yeah. Don't fall for that. And technically, the free same and no gift is under $55, yes. but that doesn't count. That's a good point. Yeah, they're the same 80% so that didn't say, expect a gift. Can I say my financial advisor said, and then yeah. go from there? You can blame this, us. Yeah, this us is best for us, honey. <laughs> what can you get for 55 bucks? How about what a nice RSP. There Whoa. you go. A, a contribution to your favorite charity, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. There that. you go. Uh, oh, pets. Pets are becoming a popular, popular item for us to spend money on in terms of Valentine's Day. And uh, it's apparently about $5.52 is the average being spent huh. on our pets. I don't know what that total is in grand total, but it's probably a lot of money. <laughs> that's just the and amount of chocolate they eat when no one's around. And yeah, that's right. Box. <laughs> and then you got to go to the vet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, at the very least, this is important, you probably should get your Romeo or Juliet a Valentine's Day card. Yeah. Because they certainly, uh, you won't be alone because Americans will spend about $1.3 billion on Valentine's Day cards this year. So Have you seen the price of a card lately? Yeah. yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it's you can quickly chew up your fifty-five buck limit. And so, yeah, and according to the U.S. Greeting Card Association, over 190 million greeting cards are exchanged in the United States on Valentine's Day, and one billion worldwide. Only Christmas is more popular in mm. terms of sending cards. It's a Hallmark holiday. Yeah, and um, so you know, th- and I guess the 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 bottom line is that I think when you th- when you're talking about money and Valentine's Day, you know, th- love ain't cheap. <laughs> love ain't cheap, exactly. <laughs> That's the bottom line. And um, but you know what, we f- we find that uh, statistically on the dark side of this is that ninety percent of divorces are often related to finances and a lack of financial yeah. congruency between between spouses. Yeah. And um, so a couple of quick guys guidelines in terms of making sure that that financial relationship is good and talking about money is sexy. There's no doubt about it. Never keep the big or small finances secret. So if you got anything that's going on that's big or small, you got to share it. Recognize your differences. You might be a saver. Your partner might be a spender. You have to be able to, uh, uh, willing to live within that mindset because you can't always convert people. It's not no, easy. No. Um, it, you decide if it's best to maintain separate bank accounts, credit cards, investments, and I thought he was going to say separate bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> that's not till the snoring starts. Yeah, that's not a good Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. Decide who's going to manage your day-to-day finances, paying the bills and so on, who's going to manage the, you know, in terms of the um who's going to manage in terms of, you know, making sure that the bills are paid, who's going to look after car sell the, the house costs, etc. Um Another one, have a frank discussion about who, uh, how you're going to achieve your financial goals. Is it buying a home? Is it starting a family? Is it preparing for, for retirement? Talking about finances and your financial goals regularly helps keep it in front of everybody and, and less awkward and less uncomfortable for everybody. Well, and then, of course, there's the marriage contract or the prenuptial. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, do a lot of people as do you're, those? as you're doing the engagement. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> by honey, the way, just can sign you here. sign this? Here's your chocolate. Here's your roses. Sign <laughs> and, here. Uh, 
Yeah, you, you know, it's it's definitely, it isn't the most romantic notion. We know that the, pre, the prenup or the marriage contract, and particularly if it's a first-time marriage, that's yeah. even more awkward. Or yeah. the cohabitational agreement actually is even bigger these days with a lot but of people. But see, that makes, more, that makes yeah. more sense in the sense that, well, you know, we're not married, so we have to do it. But a prenup has a different spin to it. Generally, no? you're you're talking about a partner partners where there's an, an unequal balance of assets. Right, if right, somebody right. comes in with a lot of assets yeah, and right. somebody else doesn't, then the inclination is definitely going to be towards a marriage contract. Planning to save on taxes, even though couples must file separate tax returns, it's important to make sure that you're both coordinating your taxes because mm-hmm. income splitting opportunities, the ability to use spousal RSPs, all of that is, is important in terms of minimizing tax for sure. And of course, we want to make sure that we arrange for all of the proper insurances because if something should happen to one of us and we dearly departed, you know, you yeah. want to make sure that your spouse or partner is going to be looked after. So whether it's a disability, whether it's a premature death or an illness, you know, that can be a valuable, valuable expression of love there you that go. you've looked after them in all situations. I can't believe you just tied all that into Valentine's Day. That's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> wow. Wow. That proves you can spin anything. <laughs> <laughs> we are financial pla- spin artists. That's it. We are planning your financial future with a little bit of love as well. Uh, and of course, Andy and Don are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, 905-529-7165, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. You can check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you will find old archive shows. You can even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. And of course, phone line, you can uh, leave a message at 905-529-7165, and they will get back to you. All right. How do you get yourself a 40K index pension for life? A yeah. year. Wow. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, and you got one? Yeah, actually, you know Sign what? Sign me up. Most, a lot of Canadians don't even know this, but they already have that. And we were talking about Valentine's Day in the last uh, segment. Mm-hmm. Well, let's continue with the couple's theme. And a husband and wife, or common-law, or two common-law spouses of any sort, the Canada Pension Plan maximum yeah. this year is $1,114.17 a month mm-hmm. if you're 65 years old. Right. Old age security is five seventy eight fifty three a month. Mm-hmm. Both are indexed. That works out to $13,370 for CPP and $69.42 for old age security, totaling it up $20,312 for one person. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple. Yeah. Double it up. Now you got a $40,624 pension indexed for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I brought this up is I last week I was with at a client and they said, well, CPP is really not that much anyway, is it? And what a can of pension plan, you know, you got to really look after yourself. True enough. You do want to look after yourself, but it is, a, it is a lot better than a lot of people think. Yeah. And you, so you look at that and you say, well, if you just, if you didn't do anything and you knew you had uh, at least this basis of uh, this base amount of forty grand indexed because mm-hmm. they're both fully indexed every year. Forty thousand—that's a great starting point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's going to give a lot of people a decent life expectancy. I'm sorry, a decent li- a decent life, and it does depend on life expectancy what you should be doing. Now, what I mean by that is the biggest question I'm getting, and we've been getting this question for years, is should you take it out early? Yeah. Okay, should you take it out at sixty versus sixty-five? And a number of years ago, they re- <coughs> they reduced that. 
Uh, they sorry, they increased the penalty mm-hmm. of taking it out early. So it used to be a thirty percent penalty to take it at sixty versus sixty five, and that made it basically the break even point at seventy eight years old. So you had to live to seventy eight mm-hmm. just to break even. So a lot of people were taking it out early. Well, now there's a thirty six percent penalty. So instead of getting that one thousand one hundred fourteen dollars at age sixty five you would get $713.07. So call it 713. Mm-hmm. And, and that would then be indexed. Well, if you lived to 65 and you died, that means you would have received $42,784. So close to, to $43,000 before, if you waited to 65, would even start. And a lot of people think, you know what? A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush kind of thing. I want, I'll take that. I'll take it at 60. And that way, at least I know I got $43,000 out. Well, I went through the actuarial tables. And when you look at this, a male smoker, on average, at age 60, will live to 77. So that's only three years, okay, over the break-even point. Because the break-even point to get all your money back works out to 74. Mm -hmm. So if you live past age 74, you should have taken it at age 60. Right. Okay. So the average male smoker will live to 77. So that's only three years, not a massive difference. And it works out to the difference in in cost that they won't receive because they live to 77, works out to about 15 grand. Mm -hmm. So they could have got $15,000 more out of their Canada pension plan. A male non-smoker will live on average to 82. Well, that's a big difference. That works out to, it costs you by taking it out early, $44,000. $44,000. Okay, you would have received that much more Canada Pension Plan. Now, a female smoker, interesting enough, now this is kind of a little sidebar, a female smoker lives to 82 also. Mm-hmm. So if you had a, a couple and the male was a non-smoker and the female was a smoker, on average, they both live the same same, same life expectancy. Yeah. So therefore, the same cost is $44,000. Now, a female non-smoker, on average, will live to 85 and the net cost of them would be $58,000 if they took it out early. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and you say, wow, um, the male smoker would receive $145,000 and the female non-smoker would get $256,000. There's an over $100,000 difference that a male smoker would get, would get versus mm-hmm. a female non-smoker. Mm-hmm. The interesting part is they both paid the same amount into the plan. Mm. And I don't think anybody's really talking about that. There's a definitely, they haven't worked into um, the smoker status, into what you're going to receive, and whether you're male or female. And really, if they, if they wanted to make any adjustments to the Canada Pension Plan, life insurance companies have been doing this for years. Yeah. They know exactly. In fact, these, these figures I'm getting right now are, all, are from a life insurance uh, website. So at the end of the day, if you were a male smoker, probably isn't a terrible thing to start at age 60, but at the other end of the spectrum, a female non-smoker, definitely I would not take at age 60. In wow. fact, uh, 65, it's, it's almost a no-brainer unless there's some health issue mm-hmm. you go into. So I, I looked at this a little deeper and there's a survivor benefit. So you have, uh, from the Canada Pension Plan, you think, okay, well, you know, if my husband or wife dies, at least I get their Canada pension plan. I know I lose the old age security when they die, but at least I get the Canada pension plan. Well, it works out to the maximum Canada pension plan you'll get if if the survivor is under 60 
would work out to $603 a month. If you're over 65, that the maximum you'd get from your from the uh, deceased would be $668 a month. So you get 60%. And you say that's fair. You know, a lot of pensions when you when one spouse dies, you get 60%. Um, not a bad deal. But this is where it kind of goes funny. There's still the maximum the the the, the survivor can get is still the same $1,114. They can't get more than that. Right. So if and let's say generally speaking, the male dies earlier. So let's say this, the survivor is, is the wife. Well, she worked all her life. She was a teacher or whatever she did. And she had a very good job. And she contributed the maximum to the Canada Pension Plan. So she was already getting the $1,114 a month in Canada Pension Plan. Mm-hmm. Her husband dies. She doesn't receive any of his Canada Pension Plan. And again, the same th- goes with this. He still contributes to the same amount into that plan yeah. as, mm-hmm. as, say, his neighbor, who, who his wife worked part-time, only got less than 40% of the normal maximum Canada pension plan. So the neighbor would get $668 of survivor Canada pension plan. Both are contributing the exact same amounts. Yeah. These plans are really made back in the leave it to beaver days yeah. where <laughs> the spouse stayed at home, yeah. usually the wife, the, right. the husband went to work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, that way, when the husband died earlier, she would continue getting it. That's not the case anymore. They're not getting this money in a lot of cases. In fact, the average amount that the survivor is getting is only $302 versus the 668 that they could have got. So so I, I created a situation. Andy and I are, are constantly trying to figure out what is, you know, trying to create financial plans for income splitting. So let's make this fictitious Smith scenario where they both are getting the maximum Canada pension plan. They both are getting old age security. So they're getting that 40,000 a year pension that I talked about earlier. And they have RSPs or other investments that are making them um, another 50, sorry, another $50,000. Mm-hmm. So they're at the $73,000 each income. Why I use 73,000 each is because that's when the old age security clawback starts. So they both are hitting their incomes are hitting the ceiling of that, mm-hmm. but they're not getting clawed back. They're getting the full old age, old age security. So they're having a great life making this uh, 146,000 a year. And it works out to after tax that they would be getting $116,000 a year after tax because of two OASs, two Canada pension plans and full income splitting and your ta- highest tax bracket at that stage is less than 30%, 29.65%. So they're in even the middle tax bracket. They're not even jumping into a higher bracket. All plans go awry, awry when one spouse dies. What happens when one spouse dies now is all of a sudden the survivor doesn't get the can- the old age security of the other spouse. Okay, that makes sense. Loses the full Canada pension plan of the other spouse. Well, that seems like a bit of a rip. Let's take this even further. Their income, all their RSPs investments are all now into the survivor spouse hands. So now her income, it generally it's a her, is 126,000. So they end up, she ends up losing her, old, her own old age security yeah. because of 100% clawback. So on top of that, she's now has a whole bunch of money over the 90,000, because making anything over 90,000 to 140,000 is a 43.43% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So here's a survivor 
the next day they go back from making $116,000 after to actually $117,000 after tax to the next day making $86,000 after tax. A $30,000 decrease because of losing OAS CPP um, to all these securities is uh, is, is $14,000. One Canada pension, $27,000 of that decrease is simply government benefits you don't get. Yeah. Because you both worked hard, you both contribute to CPP, you both saved a lot, you both are making a good income, you're getting right to that 73000 each, you're income splitting, you're doing all the right things until one dies. So so my question is, in, in lieu of Valentine's week, how quickly can she remarry? <laughs> <laughs> you nailed what's that. A, actually. What's a reasonable amount of time? Like, is it 48 hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say that the... You know the the deceased spouse would probably appreciate that because they were very good at income splitting. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. were obviously financially savvy. That's right. They mm-hmm. followed a lot of financial planning guidelines. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm sure that would be okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it doesn't actually have to be. Remarried. I know there's a 48 hour rule if you ever run a desert 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 deserted island and uh. you could you know, but I'm not sure about uh, yeah. Anyway, income splitting may not be the best answer. Well. This, this whole thing, and it's, it's interesting, I feel a lot of the rules are made for years gone by. Mm-hmm. And, and what they're doing is, because of this, you've now got $36,000 that's over the, the $90,000 limit, where now you're paying a lot more tax. Yeah. So the income splitting alone is costing you at least $4,000, plus you're losing $27,000 in government benefits. This doesn't seem fair. It, mm-hmm. it, it really isn't. And this is where I'm, I'm kind of looking through this, and, I, and I've had situations not to this degree because not too many people are making exactly seventy-three thousand each. And but they are. There's a lot of people these days that have two spouses fully con- 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 contributing to the Canada Pension Plan mm-hmm. that will not get the survivor benefit, yeah. even though that's worked into the formula. That is worked into how much you're contributing. That's about as fair as as a male non-smoker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> getting a lot less money than the female non-smoker. Mm-hmm. They really haven't s- diced and sliced it like they w- like an insurance, like a privately run company would. Right. Okay, because they look at this as it's a general pot <clears throat> and nobody really asks questions, even though it's their money. Yeah. There's a lot of money being put into this. In fact, going forward, I know if everything goes okay, they're looking at making some changes to the Canada Pension Plan where they're going to even increase contributions even more. Yeah. Well- People should really question, if I'm going to put all this money in, what do I get? Yeah. And the rate of return has already fallen. It used to be a reasonable rate of return, but now it's under 3%. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the rate of return. Um, there's a lot of other parts of it. There's seven years that you can opt out of a Canada Pension Plan, so you're not actually contributing. The 40, it's a 40-year 40 total. Correct. And so seven years are dropout years. Dropout years, exactly. <clears throat> so towards the end, you could stop? You could stop. Technically. You could technically stop and not contribute for seven years. And these are often where, let's say, you, you're in between jobs. Right. You raise kids, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it might be, you didn't contribute the max in those years. Right. You would still get the maximum Canada pension plan. Right. So you definitely, you need 33 years at, at having made the max. Right, right. So the, pr- the issue is usually if you're starting out, you're a 25-year-old graduate, you may not be making the maximum contributions. So that might be a dropout year. You might need that because your later years are your highest income earning years. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fair bit of money that you're contributing every year. 
So I'm looking at some of the self-employed <coughs> people that are paying themselves enough to, like they have made perhaps a private corporation. So their money goes into a private corporation, then the private corporation pays them a salary. And a lot of these people are, are paying themselves enough so they can maximize the Canada Pension Plan. Sure, yeah, makes well, sense. Well, not for those seven years. So if there's 58 and they've been maxing it out all the way through, they're actually better off to pay dividends at that stage because why pay into the Canada Pension Plan yeah. and get no benefit? Yeah, yeah. So in those last seven years, um, change it to dividend income, not salary. And I, I find a lot of people aren't really looking at the Canada Pension Plan. They're often looking at perhaps adding some money to the RSPs. But again, coming at the end of it, why would you put, I think it's about $5,000, $5,500 a year you're contributing out of your pocket. Why would you put that extra 5500 in and get no benefit? Well, and I, and the, I think part of that is that we used to receive a Canada Pension Plan statement periodically. It used to be, maybe it was every three years, but, right. you know, and I remember when I used to receive that, looking back at it, first of all, just double checking, do they actually have the right figures in terms of what I was earning and how much I contributed? But then now they stopped doing that completely. You can access it online. You can go through, you have to go through that effort of yeah. actually looking it up or requesting a payout, but it, uh, we're less likely to do that. It's not yeah. in our face. So yeah. we just kind of forget about it. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind. I do find it is a little convoluted. In general, most people are very confused with the Canada Pension Plan. I, I highly recommend you discuss this with your financial planner. Um, hopefully they n understand this. If not, you certainly call Andy and I. Is there a time when you should be doing this? Like at a certain age before, you know? Certainly in your 50s. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, certainly in your 50s, this should be looked at um, in great detail to make sure that you're not leaving your own money on the table yeah. and making unnecessary um, payments into it. And also that whole question, when should I start taking it out? Yeah. That's another one that is, I would say most people are making the wrong decision there and they're leaving you know, and, and on average, uh, for a female non-smoker, would be sixty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and that's if she died at 90, 85. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of uh, people hitting close to hundred these days. Yeah. So, it's a very large part of your pension income when you have two couples, and like I said, forty thousand a year index for life. It's not mm -hmm. a bad deal. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905 529-7165 and don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com talking about getting the most out of your RSPs aha uh -huh. absolutely so RSP deadline is March 1st midnight mm -hmm. March 1st this is not a leap year so that's yep. the normal 60 days into the new year and so just some quick tips I think in terms of focusing on your RSP contribution um, number one go for growth and what I mean by that is that if typically if you're still in the accumulation phase, you know, you're not in the, you're not planning to retire in the next two or three years, but you're accumulating RSPs. You know, I meet with, um, you know, children, children of my, adult children of mm -hmm. my clients and they're putting money, they're in their twenties, thirties, forties, maximize yeah. the growth on the RSP. Be prepared to take on more risk. If you're too conservative, you're just basically giving up potential future growth yeah. on your investments. And suddenly 10 years have gone by and you're going, geez, why did I stick that in a GIC? Or why mm -hmm. did I leave that in a savings account? Or why did I go with a conservative portfolio? Yeah. 
So number one, go for growth. If you've got a reasonable time frame, like five years or more, you should be going for growth in your RRSP. Don't worry about short term, the short term noise in the stock right. market, etc. Uh, number two, the opposite of that is resisting the temptation to take money out of your RSP. So a lot of times, you know, financial uh, struggles hit, maybe there's been a job layoff or maybe mm-hmm. there, there might be times where it makes sense if you're in a low income year where you could take it out. But the problem is getting it back or the lost growth on that. And I just had an example. So the first thing that happens is that anything that you take out of your RRSP it's going to be taxed at your marginal tax bracket, the very highest rate of tax that mm-hmm. you're going to pay on the last dollar you earn. Now imagine you took out 10 grand, we'll add 10 grand to so your that, income. Yeah, so it's that added on top. Your tax bracket. Exactly. Yeah. It can push you into a higher tax bracket, but absolutely it's going to be taxed at the highest rate. And the problem is you may not have saved that much on the way in. So you got to be very careful number that. Number two, you can't restore that contribution room. Once you've taken it out, you don't get that room back in any mm. way. And that's different than a TFSA plan yeah. where you can extract the money out of your TFSA plan. Whatever you take out, you can put back in. So you don't lose that room. Not true with RSPs. You lose I the room. Yep. Mm. Once you take it out, you don't you can't get that. never it. recovers. That never recovers. You don't get it back. And so if you're just thinking about the compound growth, let's say over 20 years, let's say you're a 40-year-old and you decide to take out uh, 10 grand from the RSP. Well, over the course of 20 years at 4.75%, that's $25,300 of future value that you've taken out of your RSP. Two and a half times, Mm -hmm. basically. Same thing. So you take out, let's say you decide I want to buy a new car, Mm -hmm. take out 50 grand. Well, the future value of that, $126,000 in your RSP plan. And so you might think, well, we'll talk a little bit about how much that can generate in terms of income. But the other part of that is that they withhold tax. So anything that you withdraw up to $5,000, 10% tax right off the gate, 20% tax from five to 15,000, anything over 15,000, 30% tax. That's a prepayment of the tax you're going to owe at the end, but you don't get that money. You don't get all the money up front when you pull it out. So what happens is somebody wants 30,000 for a car. Well, now they have to take out 40 just to end up with, and they might take it out in chunks just to end up with the 30 grand. And then all of a sudden now they're behind the the eight ball because they've got uh, all this tax to pay at the end of the year. Um, The the other thing I want to talk about is um, contributing early. Procrastination obviously is a, is a, is part of the the RSP story. The faster you can get it in, the better off in terms of future growth. Uh, next one is giving yourself a raise. And I, Don and I, often go back and forth on this, but <laughs> the ability to uh, instead of getting a large tax refund from your RSPs, if you you can file a T twelve thirteen T one two one three, it's a Canada Revenue Agency form that allows your employer to reduce the amount of tax they hold off your paycheck, mm-hmm. they take off your paycheck. Right. So you end up with more money every month coming yeah. into your household, even in, in lieu of making that RSP contribution and getting a big refund at the end. Right. Okay. So that makes it simpler and easier to do in terms of cash flow. Um, in terms of tax efficient investing, this is something that we see time and time again. When you're putting money into an RRSP, whenever that money comes out, Every dollar is taxed. Doesn't matter whether you earned interest, dividends, or capital gains. It's all taxed when it comes out as one dollar is. You earn a dollar, you take out a dollar, you pay tax on a dollar. When you have a non-RSP account, 
If you earn dividends or capital gains, you pay a much, much lower rate of tax Mm -hmm. on those earnings. Mm. So when you're structuring your portfolio, you want to have anything that produces interest income, which is the most highly taxed form, put that in your RSP because it's all going to come out and be taxed. If you've got investments that are earning dividends or capital gains, those would be outside of your RSP. Now, often people, all they have is an RSP account. They don't have Mm -hmm. enough to put into monies elsewhere. So in that case, you want a balanced portfolio. That makes sense. But if you can structure your weightings, you want to have, again, RSP money in your your, uh, interest-bearing investments and your non-RSP money in capital gains and dividends. Um, I want to talk about uh, your estate, the final one, RSPs and your estate. And the main thing is in this is that you can designate a beneficiary. So take a look at your plan. Make sure that you've designated your spouse if you're married or your common law partner if you're married. And that's part of your estate plan because the money can roll over to them tax-free. And if you're on your own, any beneficiary is going to receive the money directly. But here's the trick. The tax that's owing on it is still going to be taken from your estate. So if all your money goes to your beneficiary, all your RSP money goes to the beneficiary, they haven't paid any tax on it, right. but your estate will owe tax on it. So make sure you've left provisions in your personal estate to be able to pay the tax on that RSP. Otherwise, maybe your RSP beneficiary should be your estate, in which case all the taxes will be paid and then the residual can go to your beneficiaries. Okay. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can check out old archived shows there and as well uh, ask a question via the listener inquiry button talking about criteria for finding the perfect financial advisor well perfect perfect right you know whatever it is i'm staring yeah. i'm staring right at well, now. how simple is it yeah thanks scott <laughs> well you know what there, there's seven criteria and uh, there's an interesting article that was written uh in the Globe Mail a week or so ago, and went over each criteria. And w- the first one was licensing. Mm-hmm. What kind of licensing does y- the financial planner have? Is it is it a stock and bond license, which would be um, so they can sell any type of product that is basically mutual funds or individual stocks? Or do they have life insurance license also, where they can also sell uh, disability life insurance cri- critical illness? Or, or is it simply a mutual fund license, which is also fine, but they, they're limited simply to, to mutual funds? Mm-hmm. Quite often, you may find there's a, a lot of them out there that may be mutual funds only, mm-hmm. um, a fully licensed broker, which sells mainly all products. <clears throat> Not too many are duly licensed. So that's something you should be asking if they're duly licensed. So that way they can look at the insurance products and the investment products, see which makes most sense from mm-hmm. the product standpoint. And... The reason I, I look at this right advisor is, you know, the one commercial I know we talked about a few weeks back, but when they're saying, well, you know, I'm looking for a tailor-made financial plan. It says, don't worry, we will tailor your investments right for you. Mm-hmm. Well, they're looking at financial planning as simply products yeah. in that commercial. And it's f- nothing could be further from the truth. That's an investment plan. Mm-hmm. And we look at the bigger picture and it's a full financial plan. So then you look at the number two criteria. What is their certificate? What certificates do they have? Okay. Uh-huh. What are the letters beside their name? And sure, they may have a university designation, which is great, whether it's a, you know, BCom or a Bachelor of Arts or, or what have you. But do, are they a CFP? Are they a certified financial planner? 
that there is really the mainstay as far as what you should have as a financial planner. So that would be my number one criteria. If I had just one to pick, mm-hmm. make sure they're a CFP. Mm-hmm. If they're not, I would be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. And there's other ones that are also quite useful. Uh, and, and I would second, you know, CLU is a very good one also. Okay. And there's, and then there might be a lot of different ones. There might be divorce specialist, uh, a, an age specialist. Like yeah. there's a lot of other smaller degrees, which are, means that your planner is keeping up with different, always trying to expand their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Experience. That one's a tough one because obviously uh, you don't want somebody perhaps that's already 65 years old mm-hmm. and uh, they may be retiring soon on you. Yeah, so really. they have Retire a lot of experience, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same token, you say, okay, it's nice to have somebody with experience and at very worst can lean on a team that has experience. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a lot of teams these days where there's a, say an associate and there may be a younger associate, maybe less than two years in the business, but you know, if they get into a situation, they also have a team behind them that can help them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Compensation. How, how are they getting paid? Are they salary? Are they getting paid on the assets? Are they hourly? Um, it's not necessarily <coughs> a game changer, but it's just nice to know. Okay. How, which way are they getting paid? It might show if there's a biasness. Um, and quite often you'll find that, particularly with the last two experience in compensation, normally you're going to get referred to a good financial planner because if they've been around for a while, they may have a track record of dealing with a lot of high net worth people or people in the same situation that you're in and that could use uh, the same services that they're providing for the other person. Mm-hmm. The process, extremely important. And this is where I... I find there's a massive difference between planners. Andy and I have been doing this show now for 12 years and it's all about the process. It's going over your net worth. What, what, what do you own? What do you owe? What is your net worth now? What's your cash flow? What's coming in now? Well, what's your lifestyle and where's it all going? Going over your wills, looking at your power attorneys, looking at the insurance, your kids, the wills. That's the process. If it's less than that, that's really not a financial plan in my books. But again, you should really go through this process and see what they're actually asking. Um, number six, resources. What resources do they have? Well, a lot of the big institutions have great resources. Some of the banks have very good resources they can fall back on. <coughs> Investors Group, I'm absolutely biased here. Fantastic resources. We have tax specialists, legal help. We can send your will out to make sure it's done properly. So have a second set of eyes on it. And it's, it's great to have those resources behind us. All we are is an email or phone call away to finding out more answers that may be beyond our scope. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have those resources. And last, in terms of the criteria, is trust. Do you trust the person? And again, that's kind of a, a feely kind of thing. Uh, but again, I, I think it would be similar. To the, what's the feeling you have with your doctor? Do you feel comfortable with your doctor? Um, and, and again, same idea with your financial planner, because this is a very important decision you're making to entrust this person with all of your money, yeah. all of your information. You'll tell this person more, more about your situation than you may even tell your best friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. So extremely important to find that person that exhibits all seven of those that you're looking for. And I, and I look at this and the trust one particularly, I've had a few incidents recently where clients are, unfortunately, their spouse have died. And in one case, the Canada Pension Plan death benefits, only $2,500. They went to deposit it and the bank wouldn't allow it until they saw the last three month statement from Investors Group. Mm -hmm. She's a client of mine. I'm saying, what does this, uh, so I sent this off to our resources, ahead office and I said, is there something I'm missing? I've never had this happen by the way, and this was in Ancaster. And 
And they said, no, though, they necessary to have this? And they said, absolutely not. They do not need any other advisor's uh-huh. statements. But they're trying, banks are being extremely aggressive in trying to attack, the uh, trying to get to the other people's monies, basically, yeah. is what they're trying to do. Yeah. Then I had another one in Port Dover, mm. same idea. A recent, unfortunately, widow, and they were going after all these, all they wanted was joint bank accounts. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're having the conversation of trying to get all the assets and the you know deceased husband was says no whatever we're doing we're keeping it with Don so if I happen to die before you you make sure and you give him a call, but again the, it's upsetting these widows yeah. and I look at this does that constitute the right advisor I would say not. Mm. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott. See you next week.